Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Film Spotting SVU is presented by Movies on Demand on Cable, bringing the latest indie movies into your home at the touch of a button. Venus and Fur, a new comedy from Roman Polanski, centers on a mysterious, sexy actress who seduces and dominates an unsuspecting theater director. It's available on demand this Friday, the same day as its theatrical release. Rob the Mob follows two lovers who forever change the face of organized crime in New York City. It's based on a true story and premieres on demand on June 24th. The latest independent films are ready when you are with Movies on Demand on cable. The Art House is now in your house. From New York City, this is Film Spotting Streaming Video Unit. I'm Matt Singer. And I'm Allison Wilmore. This week on the show, Matt returns after a month-long stay in the shoe, a changed man. This place, this is a, this place is a sad place. As we review the second season of the Netflix original series, Orange is the New Black. Later in the show, we'll bring you cue shots where we recommend some titles you can rent or stream at home right now, all centered on a common theme and inspired by Orange is the New Black. We were going to recommend some other prison movies... But we already did that when we reviewed Orange is the New Black Season 1 back on Film Spotting SVU episode number 40, which you can still find on iTunes or at filmspottingsvu.com. So instead, we're going to recommend some other TV shows we've been watching lately and which you can watch now in your own home. But first up is Opening Break, a segment we do in conjunction with our sponsor, Movies on Demand on Cable, in which we spotlight a few notable films new on demand Allison, what uh, what are our picks this week? Well, first up is an animated film called Ernest and Celestine. It's available now, as are the other two films I'm going to mention by the time this podcast is live. This is an extremely charming French animated film that's directed by Stéphane Aubier, Vincent uh, Patard, and Benjamin René. And it was one of the Oscar-nominated films this year, though it didn't end up winning. But it's about a little mouse named Celestine who befriends, after almost getting eaten by initially, a bear named Ernest. Uh, And the two have basically a forbidden friendship in a world that's apparently only populated by mice and bears, uh, both of whom live in quite charming, adorable, French-like cities, but they're dire enemies. And there's a whole really cute world involving uh, teeth and dentistry um, in which dentistry is a very, very uh, important career choice 
amongst the mice, and it's what Celestine is being kind of pushed into. And they also go up and steal the baby teeth from the bears to use as replacement teeth. Uh, you know, as mice, they need to nibble on a lot of things. And this uh, film has a really lovely animated style. It's it's very old fashioned and reminiscent of. Uh, of picture books really it's kind of it it looks like it's all done in line drawings that have basically been colored in with watercolor so it gives the whole film this really soft look that um you know is a really kind of it, it's a real contrast to a lot of the direction that computer animation is moving in and i think a real reminder of how nice this kind of animation can be. All went along. The big bad bear sleeps. And when he wakes up, he is what? When he wakes up, he is hungry. And what? What is he hungry for? A little mouse? What's your name? Ernest. I'm Celestine. And it's it's not a particularly it's it's a small film and it's it's a very kind of light film but it's it's one that's very very charming and you know uh, I, I think worth checking out in particular in this in the summer of having all of these giant sprawling epics to see something that's so deliberately small and that works so well in that context is really nice um, the English language dub involves some very talented people, including Forrest Whitaker as Ernest and Mackenzie Foy as Celestine, and then also Lauren Bacall, Paul Giamatti, William H. Macy, Megan Mullally, and Nick Offerman. Um, so that is Ernest and Celestine, and it is available now on demand. And for, for a change of pace, also available on demand, is The Final Member which is a documentary about a penis museum and two men who are vying to to donate the the last thing, the last mammalian penis that the the museum needs to complete its collection, which would be a human member. Mm. And uh, this film actually has a, a really uh, a really it's funny obviously and very droll, but also long. has a kind of long? it's many different sizes, Matt. Oh. Well, it's not the size that matters, though. It's really how you use it. Yes. Well, you know, the the, the animal kingdom offers all sizes of, mm. of genitalia mm. to be preserved either in, uh, in, in jars or on the wall mounted like trophies. Um, the film becomes uh, the story of the two men who are competing, basically, to become the lucky, I suppose, the lucky man to donate his parts and to you know preserve his legacy forever and ever in a jar, in a, <laughs> so to speak. In, yes, legacy. <laughs> um, one of them, the museum is not in Iceland, and one of the men is Icelandic. Uh, in his nineties, promises to donate you know his his penis after he dies, and has led this very epic life, and apparently legendarily slept with many women. So you know. He, that would be a he's good got one a to storied, have. Right, a storied member. But the other man <laughs> is middle-aged and has a name for his penis, which he talks about, and um, you know is willing to have it to donate it while he's still alive. To basically to be castrated in order to have his penis, you know, 
dwell forever in the hallowed halls of this museum. And so um, the film follows those two very interesting characters as well as the founder of the museum and goes to some some interesting places. It starts in some interesting places and goes into some more interesting ones. So that is the final member available now. Also available now is Hellion, which is uh, the new film from the Austin-based filmmaker Kat Candler, and starring Aaron Paul of Breaking Bad in, uh, I think, the second of his post-Jesse uh, Pinkman roles so far to hit theaters. And this film is actually in theaters now, as well as, well as being available on demand, and is about a father and his teenage son, who is a little out of control. And it's set against the world of motocross. I have not seen this one yet, but I am a big fan of Aaron Paul, and I'm very curious to see what comes of his post-Breaking uh, Bad career. And... Uh, this film also stars Juliette Lewis, as well as Josh Wiggins, Johnny Mars, Emily Jeffries. And, you know, uh, for anyone who is a Breaking Bad fan, I'm sure that there is something here to be checked out. And so that's Hellion, also available now on demand. Topic for Q Shots on this episode television shows, new television shows, recent television shows, shows you can watch without a television on your computer. Uh, we're very fortunate, of course, that Allison is a, for, well, now former TV critic, I yeah. guess. You're, you, we really mistimed this. We should have done it a few months ago when you were still deep in the swing of things. But yeah. uh, I guess you're still, you're still much more knowledgeable on the subject than I am. So. We're going to lean on you uh, heavily, I guess. But uh, I don't know. Is there, uh, generally speaking, is there anything? I feel like uh, maybe there isn't. But is there anything to say about the state of television right now, or the series that are on right now, or coming soon in the fall? Well, I think that the interesting thing is just you know I, I think something we talked about a little before, which is the continued prominence of of outlets like Netflix uh, that never used to be in the television game you know i think that last year we saw all of these uh we saw netflix and then to a lesser extent hulu uh, but also amazon get into the game of original series and all of those they're still making original series and now are on second seasons but now i think this will be the year of of um consoles getting into the game right you know like xbox uh PlayStation. PlayStation is is working on some, um, and I I'm very curious to see how those are going to be. And really, I'm curious. I don't have any consoles at home. I'm curious if I'm going to have access to any of them. You know, I think that we're starting to get even more than even more than the idea of like you might not have a Hulu subscription that you might not just have the actual device that you need to access these. Right. 
we're like moving away from a model where it's about channels and and moving towards a model where it's about like devices almost, you know. Right. You need to have a a PlayStation or an Xbox or a Roku where you can access a bunch of these different channels, you know, like or an, an Apple TV or something like that. It's it's yeah, it's it's strange because it's 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 like the further decentralization of popular culture. And it's strange too to consider a future where you would buy a gaming console to watch a specific television show. But it it doesn't sound out of the realm of possibility. I mean, if if uh you know, like let's say uh the PlayStation threw a ton of money after Matthew, uh, you know Matthew Weiner to to follow up Mad Men with something, right? I mean, you would be you mm-hmm. would consider getting that console, right? Sure, because also that console is uh, right your entertainment center, right? Right, like right. it's the thing you would use to access, even if you weren't necessarily using it to play to play games all the time. Right. You'd be using it to access Netflix, and you could be using it to do all of these other things. So it wouldn't necessarily be. Like you were throwing all of this money just for access to a series, but it's right. it's another enticement, right? Right. True. True. Absolutely. Uh, should we get to uh, our first picks? Do you want to go first? Sure. Um, my first pick is a show that's actually reaching its season one finale this week. So it, I haven't actually seen the last episode in this season, but. Uh, I think everyone you, you'll if you've been watching you'll be you'll be watching alongside me. Uh, it is Fargo, which is available for rent on Amazon and is currently airing on FX. So if you have FX's on-demand service, it's also also available there. Um, and this show is created and written by Noah Hawley, who is the creator of the originals and of course is inspired by the Coen brothers classic film and what is so interesting about this adaptation is that it's kind of it's kind of a sideways adaptation in that it's set in the same sort of world as a 1996 film uh, and it tries to have many of the same elements including the whole this is based on a true story prologue the whole, you know, kind of Midwestern culture accents, the bitterness of the winter, dark comedy, crime, but has none of the characters of this the original series and follows a whole different story. And there's no Marge. And I think that this is actually a great choice because... As uh, Noah Hawley has actually observed in interviews and talking about the series, the idea of having a series that just follows Marge as she tackles all these different crimes actually goes against the basic idea of the film, which is that this is the worst thing that's ever happened in Brainerd, you know, in terms of these characters. This is a shockingly dark, disturbing thing that has happened in this otherwise extremely nice Midwestern town. And that it's something that Marge finds genuinely troubling and that she is really bothered by in that ending when she gives the speech. Um, And... They actually, right after Fargo came out, there was an attempt to make a Fargo series then, um, starring Edie Falco as Marge, and uh, Kathy Bates actually directed the pilot, which was made, and which you can 
find on YouTube sometimes, but uh, it didn't go anywhere. And I think for those very reasons that the point of Fargo is not to just follow a sprightly, uh, you know, a sprightly Minnesotan police, uh, very competent policewoman through solving all kinds of dark crimes. Um, it is about the idea of this terrible thing that happens in a place where people don't ever don't ever countenance the idea of terrible things. But it's also about the potential for those in these in the neighbors that you think you know and trust. I said we'd bring Jello salad, but Eddie said meatloaf. So, hun. What's that, hun? I said it's Gordo's birthday tonight. We're supposed to be at your brother's at four with meatloaf. Sounds uh, different today, don't you think? Like uh, angry? I'm washing towels. It's a towel sound. Huh. Kitty said they just got one of those fancy European all-in-ones. Says it washes and dries one machine. Can you believe that? But that's at the back of Benny. <laughs> he can afford it, your brother. He said he just got a big promotion after only working there a year. He said they also got one of those fancy new surround sound systems. Guess I married the wrong Nygaard. Oh. <laughs> the story of Fargo, the TV show, has moments that definitely recall the film. It's based around, amongst other characters, a kind of hapless insurance salesman named Lester Nygaard, who's played by Martin Freeman, and who's certainly reminiscent of the character who's played by William H. Macy in the movie. But then also is a little bit of a remix of just other Coen Brothers elements from different movies. Um, Billy Bob Thornton plays a character named Lorne Malvo, who is vaguely satanic and has a very distinctive haircut and could be a talkier relative of Anton Chigurh from No Country for Old Men. Um, Glenn Howerton from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia is reminiscent of Brad Pitt's character in Burn After Reading. Um, and you also have other, just like generally very solid cast members, including Allison Tolman, who's particularly good as uh, the most competent police person in the story. And it uses the character of Malvo as this guy who travels around through different towns and seems to be able to sense the possibility of wrongdoing in other people and acts as almost a spark for it. He's, he really enjoys, has a sadistic enjoyment of pushing people just enough to make them act on these things that they'd always maybe considered but never actually done anything with. So I'm really looking forward to the ending. And it's a show that if it gets renewed for another season, and I'm not sure if it has yet, will tell another story. It will not continue this one. So it's going to be an anthology series like True Detective and like American Horror Story, which seems to be a kind of interesting way that some television shows are tending towards uh, in order to get around the burden of having to drag out a story until it's no longer popular and then end it. So... Uh, I, I, I think that this season has worked out really well and much better than I ever thought 
when you hear the idea of a series inspired by Fargo, I don't know that it inspires great confidence, but it, I think this has actually worked out really well by managing to be maybe Coen Brothers adjacent very successfully without ever trying to 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 replicate what the Coens do, which is something I don't know that anyone can. So that is Fargo. It is currently airing on FX and is available for rent on Amazon. Okay. I've, I've sampled that show. I watched the first couple of episodes, and uh, I, I thought it was okay. I mean, it is interesting how it sort of takes – it's almost like Fargo as, as like the – the, the the end result of a game of telephone. It's it's been heard by someone who described the plot, who described the plot to someone else, who then watched a couple of other Coen Brothers movies, and then what came out was sort of this TV show. It's it is Fargo. It it resembles the movie, but it's not quite the same thing. The, mm-hmm. I would say I, I there were parts of it though that to me almost felt like they verged on fan fiction like Coen Brothers fan fiction like mm, interesting like the addition of the character who is the Billy Bob Thornton character who is almost Anton Sugar to a T you know he's 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 evil and you described him very well I just I don't know I thought it was a very interesting way to address the adaptation of a movie we all know and to do something different mm-hmm. and and the first episode in particular really kind of plays into your expectations and then also defies them at the same time. But I, I don't know, I didn't I didn't get so wrapped up in it that I've been keeping up with every single episode. I'm I'm quite a few behind at this point. So I think that it's actually it's managed to as it's gone along get stronger also. It's and and has done some unexpected things in this kind of end game that it's headed towards that I really liked. That I've really liked. All right. Well, maybe I'll I'll check it out. I'll, I'll dip back in and see see how I like the way it resolves itself. Uh, my first pick and both of my picks are not dramas. They're not serialized shows. The stuff that gets all the attention, uh, you know, from the media right now. Partly not because I'm I'm a snob or I'm against those kind of shows. It's more it has to do with my viewing habits, which for television are really defined by what I watch with my wife and. Uh, we did watch Orange is the New Black together, and there are some shows we watch together, like we watch Mad Men together, and there's a couple other shows like that. But we don't have a ton of time to watch TV together, and I tend not to watch a lot of serialized drama without her. It, I tend to feel like if I'm watching a show uh, without my wife, I'm wasting time. I could be using watching movies, Um which is very silly, I admit, but it's sort of what I do. So I, inevitably, I end up watching more movies instead. So the stuff that I watch tends to be things that she isn't all that interested in or stuff that isn't serialized, where if she misses an episode, it's not that big of a deal. So both of my picks are actually comedy shows. And uh, the first one is Last Week Tonight, which is the new HBO series starring John Oliver, formerly of The Daily Show. This is like his version of The Daily Show, but the weekly show, it's on Sunday nights. And I have to say that I'm a casual fan of The Daily Show. I watch it online sometimes, or The Colbert Report, I watch that online sometimes. But it's not appointment viewing. I'm not watching it regularly. But in a very short amount of time, I I think that last week tonight, which you can watch on HBO Go if you have HBO or 
you know, your parents have HBO and they give you their HBO Go password. Uh, or there's quite a bit of it available on YouTube. They, they put up a lot of this show on YouTube, which is why I thought it was okay to recommend this here, is that even if you don't have HBO, even if you don't have parents who give you their HBO Go password, you can still find big chunks of the show on online, on YouTube. And uh, I think in a very short amount of time, you know, it's the first season, I think they've had maybe four or five episodes so far. I feel like in a short amount of time, the show has really defined itself in a very impressive way. And it's kind of incredible television and all it really is is john oliver sitting at a desk talking you know it's similar in that sense to the daily show but they don't have the the correspondence and the the remotes and there's not a lot of interviews some episodes don't even have an interview at all on them so it's really just him sitting at a desk and talking and because it's it's on hbo there's a little bit more freedom of content and there's a little bit more length. I mean, they can. There's no commercial break, so they can go a lot longer. You know, segments. Whereas a, a a segment on the Daily Show might be six minutes, and that's a long segment. On last week tonight, there might be a segment that's 13 minutes long, and it's just him ranting. And the thing that it kind of reminds me of, Allison, and I'm not sure if you've watched the show yet, is it it kind of reminds me of of Howard Beale from Network. Uh, if Howard Beale on network wasn't like a psychopath, wasn't ranting and insane, but was just kind of just kind of like railing against this injustice and was mad as hell and not going to take it anymore, but wasn't quite so loony. Uh, John Oliver is a very likable guy. He's kind of very warm and witty and he's, he, he, he puts a light spin on these very serious topics. But at the same time, he's talking about, you know, very – uh, intense stuff like global warming and they did a recent segment that was really great on net neutrality that kind of crystallized the issue in you know 10 minutes and explained why it was important and urged viewers at the end of it to go to the FCC's website and and to sign a petition and try to do something about it and I think that the response was so overwhelming that it actually crashed the FCC's website so the show actually is is kind of a uh, force for good in some ways but it's also just incredibly hilarious and 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 edgy too and i i I, i've gone from like oh i'll try the first episode i liked john oliver when he was on the daily show i'll take a look to where i'm actively anticipating you know episodes and looking forward to when they go up online or when they show up on hbo go uh and so it's it's a show that uh i think is really coming into its own very quickly and is really fantastic and if you haven't watched it if you go oh it's it's probably just like the daily show i don't need to see it you might want to check it out it may surprise you with the uh sort of the passion that it has the point of view that it has and 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 the comedy it's very very funny at the same time so uh that's my rec my first recommendation last week tonight with john oliver you can find it on hbo go or big chunks of it are available online on youtube but here's the thing Net neutrality is actually hugely important. Essentially, it means that all data has to be treated equally, no matter who creates it. It's why the internet is a weirdly level playing field. And startups can supplant established brands. That's how Facebook supplanted MySpace, which supplanted Friendster, which supplanted actually having any friends. <laughs> do, do you remember physically having friends? It was awful. You couldn't tap people's faces to make them go away. Yeah, you know, I think when he launched the show, I I thought he had done a great job um, taking over for Jon Stewart for the summer mm -hmm. for The Daily Show. But I hadn't expected the level of kind of very smart and 
and uh, informed outrage that yeah, you would bring exactly. to some of these it's, segments. It, there's a righteous indignation to the show. Yeah, and if you uh, if you haven't sampled the show, the the YouTube channel is Last Week Tonight. And I would suggest just watching the ones that have over a million views, of which there are a few. I mean, that would include the net neutrality one that you mentioned, Matt. He also did a really good segment recently on FIFA, the yes. organization that runs the World Cup, yes. that distilled a lot of the international issues and the corruption and the uh, you know explanation for why there's so much anger and why there are protests uh, accompanying the World Cup uh, really well. And, I, you know, I, as someone who knows very little about these things, I really appreciated it. And it kind of got me looking into these stories more. So, uh, yeah, I'm also a big fan. And I think uh, he's, he's great in general. And I'm glad that the show is working out so well for him. So that brings me to my second pick, uh, which is a show that I always recommend to people because I feel like it got such a kind of unfairly lousy run when it was actually on television. And that is Terriers, which is currently streaming on Netflix. This was a 2010 FX series. Both of my series are FX that I picked. I did just noticed. It was a 2010 FX series that ran for one nearly perfect 13-episode season that, as far as I can tell, was watched mostly by critics and no one else. The ratings were terrible, um, despite all of the campaigns. You know, sometimes when shows... Um, are not doing well and people launch campaigns to be like, save the show. I feel like there was barely a save Terriers campaign because the ratings were so low that you couldn't even really make the argument, you know, when like, I think it was like a hundred thousand people or 200,000 people are watching the show, then what are you going to do? But uh, it really is very good. It's created by Ted Griffin, who wrote Ocean's Eleven and Matchstick Men. And the showrunner was Sean Ryan, who is the creator of The Shield. And uh, the series stars Donald Logue of, you know, he's kind of these days a perpetual character actor. But um, he was the lead in Grounded for Life and also in The Dow Steve and the, the other show Life. Uh, and is uh, on, I think, Gotham now, the upcoming uh, series, but he plays Hank Dolworth, who is now sober, but whose alcoholism cost him his job as a cop, his marriage, and basically his entire old life. Um, and he is, when the show starts, a broke, unlicensed private eye working in Ocean Beach, California, with his best friend, Britt Pollock, played by Michael Raymond James, who is Logue's real-life good friend. Um, and Britt is a former thief. And the series is uh, it consists of a, a lot of standalone cases mixed in with this one ongoing larger one involving a development deal and the town's wealthiest citizens and this corruption. Um, and there's a real – it channels Raymond Chandler in a way that is uh, – is so contemporary and particularly it, it, particularly funny given how shabby and like beach town its two leads are. They're like the kind of guys, you know, who wear t-shirts and flip-flops. Um, but uh, it, it's um, Logan and Raymond James are so good together and they're given such good banter. Um, and so like the, the film or the TV show itself gets a lot of mileage just out of how like their affection that they have for one another. Um, and Logue in particular is great as this character who is very likable and that other people in the show like, but also he's someone who's so prone to spectacular bouts of self-sabotage 
that you can understand why uh, they don't trust him and why you wouldn't trust him as much as you'd root for him. Right. Let's say Eleanor was sleeping with Linda's, okay, and she had a sex tape of him, and she was scamming him. That's still no reason to ask Daddy for cash and a pistol. Yeah, it is. If her apartment got broken into three nights ago, but, but nobody took anything, they just tossed shit around? Wait, are you suggesting it was Linda's? I'm not suggesting, I'm saying it was Linda's or some lackey. You know, someone he paid? Look, Linda's is worth tens of millions of dollars, all right? He could pay on her off with the money he spends on hair moves. All right, now, if you were a, a girl running away, which lifeguard tower would you hide out in? Uh, for example, in the first episode, which is the, a really good pilot, um, the ex-wife that he's basically still in love with um, tells him that she's putting their house up on the market um, because she's moving on, you know, and he is not ready to do this. They have just basically scammed a check out of a wealthy client, um, like for a few, uh, for like $20,000 or something like that, $30,000, which obviously he's supposed to split with his partner. Instead, he drives over to the open house that she told him that she was having that day and puts down the check on the house in order to hold on to the house. And the, you know, those kind of spectacular, ill-advised, kind of noble, doomed gestures are ones that the character makes all the time. And it's uh, the writing is very good uh, for him in particular, so that you want the best for him, but are constantly wincing at these things that he does and says, and at his own awareness of kind of how far he's fallen. Um, it's a really good show, and it's also one that as sad as it is that it never got renewed, comes to a very good end so that those 13 episodes really exist well as a complete story. So it's not the kind of thing that you, you don't want to start because, you know, it just kind of ends in midair like a, like a bridge that never was, was never completed. It does actually have a sense of closure. And, um, you know, it, it, as sad as it always is when, when a show like this never picks up an audience, uh, fortunately, this one lives on on Netflix and you can find it there. So that is Terriers and it is currently available on Netflix. See, that's a, that's a classic example for me of a show that I, I, I watched the first episode of on Netflix a little while ago and I thought, oh, this is fantastic. And I told my wife, I was like, we should watch this together. And she was like, okay. And then every time it comes up, we just never get around to it. There's always something else to watch, partly because it's finished. It's a, you know, it's like it's right. not like There's we no have to catch up. Right. It's yeah. not like we have to catch up with it so we can watch the second season, which is premiering next week. It's just this self-contained thing that's sitting there waiting. And it'll yeah. presumably always be waiting until, of course, I'm sure it'll be taken down at one time when I go to watch it and I'll be devastated. <laughs> but Well, it's it's summer now, so there's not a lot of other TV. So if there ever True. is a time to, you know, give it a try. It also has a really great opening theme i have to say mm. the opening theme song is so good yeah but I, the, the the episode i watched of it with the first episode i thought was superb mm -hmm. but again it was like i said like i really don't watch that much without my wife without mel so i was like we need to watch this together and she was she was okay with it but we just haven't you know there's always something else there's always Mad Men. there's always oranges and I black understand. And it thinks life just keeps getting in the way allison <laughs> so with your maybe with your recommendation, maybe now she'll finally uh, uh, say okay and put aside some time to watch it with me. Hopefully she will. My last pick is uh, actually a pretty recent show. I think it just wrapped up its first season, 
And I think it was just renewed for a, a second season as well, actually, which I'm glad about. Unlike Terriers, it's going to get a, a second season, and uh, it deserves it. I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing it. It's called Review, and it originally aired for nine episodes on Comedy Central. I watched it on Hulu. The whole first season is available on Hulu. It's apparently based on a Australian TV series, which I haven't watched, but it's about this guy played by Andy Daly, who I know from Eastbound and Down, the first season of Eastbound and Down, where he was really terrific. Uh, he plays this guy named Forrest McNeil, who is a professional critic of some kind, but as he says, instead of reviewing books and TV and movies, he reviews life. He reviews all the different aspects of life. People write into the show, or they send in a voice or a, a, a video, and they ask him about something, a topic, and he experiences that topic, and then he reviews it on a, a zero to five star scale. So the first episode, he reviews stealing, drug addiction, and going to the prom. And each segment is its own like individual thing uh, where he investigates and samples whatever it is, stealing or drug addiction, or later on he makes a sex tape or uh, sleeping with a celebrity, going into space is in one episode. But the, the, the little segments actually do eventually accumulate, which is one of the things I like about it, is that it almost seems like haphazard the way the different installments are compiled into episodes, but then, you know, at the end of an episode, and the and they're only 22-minute episodes, by the end of an episode, things, they start to get runners. Things from the earlier parts of the episodes come back in a really very clever and, and very funny way. It's a, a found footage or, or mockumentary, I guess, is probably more appropriate style of show. It's, you know, like The Office. It's a fake documentary. Um, it's well shot in that style. It's actually shot by Jeffrey Blitz, the documentarian, the guy who made Spellbound, the fabulous documentary about the National Spelling Bee and the kids who are in that Spelling Bee. He, he actually directed the entire first season. And it's got a nice supporting cast, although Andy Daly is really the guy who holds it all together, who's in every single – basically every single scene, if not every single shot. Uh, but Fred Willard plays his father-in-law in a bunch of episodes, and uh, Jessica St. Clair plays his wife, who winds up getting roped into a bunch of, of different uh, storylines, including a divorce. He has to review getting a divorce at one point. Well, I have never done cocaine before, and I have no idea how easy or hard it is to get addicted to it. I confess I am. Quite nervous about this, but thank you. Bon voyage. Happy sailing. No. Oh, that's like bleach in my sinuses. That's terrible. No, that's a terrible feeling. Goodbye, cocaine. No, 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 miss. What? No. You would have liked to have done that cocaine? No. No, of course not. That's absolute garbage. It's terrible. I feel like going for a walk. You want to go for a walk? And I just found the show really funny. I mean, I, I, I think I, in some ways, am predisposed to like this kind of show because I am a critic and I spent over a year running a blog about film criticism. So to some extent, th this show is really in my wheelhouse where it might not be in everyone's. But I do think there's something, besides the fact that it is very funny, I do think there is something to this idea of a world of constant criticism or constant reviewing. And 
the it it does seem to be a very kind of subtle comment or maybe not that subtle commentary on on the idea of everyone being a critic and everyone reviewing everything now you know on you go on amazon and you can find reviews of of anything anything they sell you can leave a review of and people do and sometimes people leave mocking sort of satirical reviews of things which are pretty funny as well but just this idea that our our universe has become so hypercritical and this show i think in in some way is partly about kind of making fun of that phenomenon in a very funny way and andy daly's whole persona if you don't know him is just very kind of polite and friendly he's, da- he's like dad like yeah he's very sweet and harmless so instantly when he's doing things like getting an addiction and uh, you know, which means he's becoming a, co- a cocaine addict, essentially, or going to the prom, which essentially involves him romancing a, you know, 17-year-old girl while he's already married. There's something that's really kind of funny automatically about that very sweet, harmless, wholesome persona doing these unwholesome activities making a sex tape, you know, which he does with when his wife refuses, he does with like a very lifelike and kind of horrifying doll, like a sex doll. Uh, when he does these things, just instantly his his delivery, his demeanor makes them funny. And then that added layer of this world of reviewing, I think, makes the show really, really fun. And, and they're just 22-minute, uh, you know, episodes, which I, th- I think is very – Smart too. The show never wears out its welcome. Even the segments, they 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 are very quick and snappy. So they just they flow really nicely and 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 quickly. So I think it's worth checking out. You know, even if I I, I bet you could even you know interchange the episodes. You don't have to really watch them in any order. You could kind of pick the topics that sound the most entertaining to you and check those out. Um, but it does reward kind of watching them all and watching the the storylines accumulate as well. So. I was I was pleasantly surprised by this one. I just watched it over the weekend and really liked it, and I'm glad that it's going to be coming back for a second season. So that's Review, and it originally aired on Comedy Central, but you can watch it now on Hulu. It's cold out here. You'll warm up once we get working. Irma, you and Frida start pulling weeds out of the floor. Tazlitz and Jimmy and I will start clearing out this junk. Oh, I can't stay long. Jack is taking me to the movies tonight. Okay. We need to get there early. There'll be a huge line for Easter parade. Jimmy, maybe you help pull weeds, huh? All right, but I have to go soon. Girls, give me a hand with this, huh? What? You said this greenhouse club would be relaxing, give us time away from the noise. You didn't say nothing about hauling wood. You want to get warm or not? Listener's Choice Review Time on SVU. On our last episode, we let you guys choose between two movies, Filth, starring James McAvoy, and The Sacrament, from director Ty West, and a television show that does not air on television, Orange is the New Black, season two. And with 44% of the vote, Orange is the New Black won, which means it is time for Alice and I to take our second trip to Litchfield Penitentiary, the fictional correctional facility in upstate New York that serves as the setting for this series. It once again follows convicted drug smuggler Piper Chapman, played by Taylor Schilling, along with many other inmates at Litchfield and numerous members of its staff, including the assistant warden and even Piper's now ex-fiancé, played by Jason Biggs, who is living back in New York City. 
Allison, we were both big fans of Orange is the New Black Season 1, which went on to win a Peabody Award, actually, which I did not realize until I took a look around and did some research before we did this review. So I, I don't think we even need to beat around the bush that much with the questions here. Let's just get right into it. What did you think of this season of Orange is the New Black, and how would you rate it compared to the first season? I thought that this second season was on par with the first. I, I thought I liked it a lot. I, I thought it was it was really excellent and showed had the show kind of building on what it had in the first season. I, I mean, I did miss a bit that just sense of discovery and pleasant surprise that came with the first season. You know, here was a show without any big stars and with this giant sprawling cast and very unexpected and maybe unlikely setup that was just so impressive but uh, in dealing with very high expectations in a second season I, I thought the show completely met them and and what it, it it did I think that was was surprising was that it it had more of an overall arc uh, and one that really interestingly didn't involve Piper, who is what uh, was at least in that first season supposedly the main character, that it turned the focus even more to the ensemble cast and even more to these other characters in a way that uh, was entirely a good thing for me. And that uh, it came to a somewhat neater end than the first season, um, which I, I would guess was a, a deliberate thing after having done having done and experimented with the first season of online television to do that. Um, but what did you think of, well, Matt, what did you think of this season compared to the first? And also what did you think of the introduction of V, the character played by Lorraine Toussaint, who um, kind of ties the whole season together by being its main antagonist? I, I, I'm on the same page with you. I thought it was a very good season. I enjoyed it. I put it right up there with the first season. And I'm I'm looking forward to to uh, the third season. I'm, it's already been renewed, and I will be looking forward to it. And I will be definitely watching it when it comes. I think I don't think the show is as good as The Wire, but I think there's a lot about this show that reminds me of The Wire, uh, particularly the 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 ecosystem, the way it's telling this this story about this world as much as it is telling a story about a person or a couple of people. Like you said, you know, Piper is ostensibly the main character, but she's barely in some episodes. And there's one episode that she's not in at all. And that also reminded me of The Wire. I mean, the season, I think it was season four of The Wire, where, you know, McNulty, who was supposedly the main character of that show, basically vanished completely from the series and you didn't miss him. And that's sort of what happens here is Piper kind of fades into the background and her storyline is is not very important to the season overall and you don't really miss her. I think I think Taylor Schilling is great in the show and I I was always happy to see her and I thought she did great work in the scenes that she had, but the show doesn't miss her when she's gone, you know. It it finds so many interesting characters uh and and really it's I I can't think of any other series uh, that I've seen recently that has this deep of an ens- ensemble and such a true ensemble where there really isn't a main character uh, where it's really about like The Wire. It's about this ecosystem and it's also about a place where 
you know, you're you're seeing both sides of the law too. You're following the criminals, you're following the convicts in the jail, but you're also spending a lot of time with the bureaucracy of the prison, with the assistant warden, with with the counselors, with the guards. You know, you really get to sense how this whole world functions or dysfunctions, I suppose, and you get to enjoy all the different sides and you also get to really appreciate how complex these characters are as people. And the thing that repeatedly kind of blew me away this season, last season too, was the way that characters can be the hero of one episode and the villain of the next and never feel – that doesn't ever feel out of place. It always feels earned and appropriate because the characters are just that complex. And it's not really even about being the hero or the villain. It's about these characters having these very complicated personalities and having these very you know, complex relationships with one another where they can be friends with someone and be the brutal enemy of another person and they can be very kind to someone and almost literally in some cases stab someone else in the back. And I just find that really rewarding uh, as a viewer, the way that you don't always know where the storylines are going, how the characters are going to react, but it always feels true to the world that they've created. In terms of V, I think there's really two main there's really two new additions that we should talk about to this season. V and then Soso, who is the kind of the polar opposite and I think is maybe almost designed that way, whereas V is this returning inmate who's a hardened criminal and knows the ins and outs of prison and quickly kind of uses the prison to her advantage and creating this miniature, almost like a gang that she controls. Soso is this, you know, young woman, idealistic, naive, kind of like Piper was in the first season. And I didn't really love the Soso character. I thought that it was kind of retreading a lot of the same ground that the Piper character was and I don't know, some of the comedy at her expense, it seemed it seemed at her expense. It didn't really seem all that, I don't know, there's a lot of empathy and sweetness to the show that I really enjoy, and I don't know, I don't know that that was really always there for that character. Um, v, on the other hand, I did think was a really fascinating character, a fascinating creation. I enjoyed watching her develop and we see so many different sides of her and it's hard to know uh, how you know how much she can be trusted because she's such a fabulous liar she has an incredible poker face and she acts differently to different people so it's hard to get a read on her and i just found her really you know fun and exciting to watch for that reason what about you yeah i think what's so interesting about v is that it, it, she almost, in a way, turns the dynamic of the show on other people in that this show is one of the most insistent on empathy of, like, any show that I can think of. Mm-hmm. You know, aside from, I would agree, So-So kind of gets, uh, kind of gets stuck with a, a, tough, uh, a tough part uh, in this. For the most part, there, you know, almost every character is given this moment of, of – in which you have to look at them as a human being yes. and not just as a joke or as a stereotype. I mean, that's kind of the whole point of the show is that all of these characters who emerge at first as stereotypes or, you know, especially with it seen through the eyes of Piper uh, are revealed to be these very complicated, very human and sometimes very likable and sometimes very scary characters. Yes. Right. 
and that those all they contain all of those sides. And what I really loved about V and what she's what makes her so frightening is that she's a character who kind of plays into those moments of empathy of being like, you know, uh, at one point a character uh, another character is attacking her, and she kind of you know plays it off as like joking, you know, as being like you almost killed me over over the rights to you know contraband basically. And, and they have a laugh together. And it's one of those moments that the show tends to do very well in terms of, 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 of moments of, of common understanding, right? Mm-hmm. And, uh, and of seeing someone. And then you learn that V is basically faking it. Right. That she, you know, she doesn't mean it at all. She is icy to the core. And I, I thought that that was such an interesting way to play into the dynamic the show has had going throughout the first season and into the second, which is this kind of finding those moments of softness. And V has, is someone who knows how to play at those moments of softness, but is never actually affected by them. Right. She knows how to exploit them. Yeah. And it's so to see a character who's, who's able to do that is, is, is so unsettling because the show is all about how those mo- those moments of softness are kind of all you have in in a situation mm-hmm. like the prison. Yeah, uh, you know that first the first episode, which is entirely about Piper, is all about how she's threatened with the possibility of being moved somewhere else. She's not sure what's going to happen to her, right? And that this. She's being transported for reasons she doesn't know, and no one will tell her anything. And it's this very, very, um, you know, kind of surreal experience in which she's just being transported and tossed on a plane at night. Um, but that it's it's interesting that how how alarming a prospect that becomes for Piper to be like getting shipped somewhere else to uh, to another place to, with people you don't know is like. It, you know, with with so little else in her life, that idea is just terrifying. That, you know, no matter what, at least she has shared those moments with people in, in Litchfield. And those are about as important as anything gets while you're behind bars, at least by the like, per the language of the show. Um, yeah, and I thought that that was so interesting because you know as you said like this is a show about ecosystems and introducing V uh, did an interesting thing in in showing how easily that eco- ecosystem can be disrupted right you know when she comes into the into the prison it's not certainly not a perfect place but the first season has been fairly benign right and she manages to transform Form it into she upsets, warring she gangs. Upsets the balance. Absolutely, and she does it fairly easily. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I think one of the points of the show in the second season is kind of about how much easier it is to make things worse than it is to improve the system. Mm. Because in a lot of ways, the story is surrounding the the administration in the prison. Yes, is about how everyone goes in wanting to change things. And then basically gets the idealism just beat out of them. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, and that's, that's you, yeah, yeah. That's and that's very like the wire as well. I mean, this idea of I, I mean, the other way to, that I sort of looked at it was that it was about the system and how the system kind of fights against people who want to take responsibility for their actions, for their decisions, 
and how the system works to ensure that people don't actually do that. You know, there is a there's a crime that is committed later in the season and a bunch of characters want to finger the guilty party and the the guards, the establishment essentially tries their best to stop them from doing it. And one of the storylines that continues from the previous season is this guard that has impregnated one of the prisoners and it is all about how you know his confession even if he wanted to make it the 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 establishment the 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 system in the prison may not even allow him to accept responsibility because that would cause a scandal that would cause problems for the administration and they don't want that to happen and you like you said you see how difficult it is to do anything you know you your good intentions can only take you so far and over and over in this season we see how people have good intentions and they're stymied or they're so in some cases completely destroyed by them which is a very cynical outlook but it's 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 powerful when it kind of when the show creates this world that you believe and you watch how it pushes all these people down and 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 destroys them kind of systematically um it it has an impact and the thing is even saying that it's it, the show if you haven't watched the show it sounds really depressing but it's not at all the show is funny and it's really entertaining, but it manages to really address these heavy themes and these cynical ideas in a way that is very entertaining and sometimes very funny as well. And and that's not easy to do. And I give it a lot of credit for being able to do that. Uh, one of the things the show does is have flashbacks and mm-hmm. have them intertwined into the present story, the, the stories going on in the present. Mm-hmm. Did you have a favorite uh, backstory that was revealed in this season? I, a, a couple of them I thought really stood out. I thought uh, Pousset, who was sort of more of a minor character in the last season, but has, I think, a bigger role this year because she's one of the characters that's directly affected by V's introduction. I loved her backstory, and I thought that it really gave that actress uh, a chance to really shine and do something really interesting. Uh, Samira Wiley is her name, and I just thought getting to see her outside the prison in this in her past, I thought she really nailed nailed that uh, that part. I thought she was out, outstanding. The other one that I really enjoyed was the backstory for Sister Ingalls, the former nun. I thought her backstory was really fascinating too. And again, was also about systems and and individuals within those systems and how personal you know ideas, personal dedication to a cause or selfishness can affect your relationship to those systems, those organizations, those bureaucracies. And I also thought she gave in her scenes, although a lot of her scenes were played by a younger actress, I thought her scene or, or scenes in the flashbacks were really great too. What about you? Yeah, I I really liked. I thought those were both very good. Um, I really liked Morello's mm-hmm. backstory, mm-hmm. which kind of went the opposite direction as a lot of these reveals go. I mean, most of these reveals show a kind of soften characters yes. for the most part, and yes. this one was, I think, kind of shocking. Maybe not entirely. It was set up a bit. You could see it coming. It was set up a little bit, yeah. But it was shocking to the extent, I think, of where it went. Right. Uh, And and also, I think, reflected well on the idea of, of prison, of the ways in which prison changes your identity. Yes. 
And here it kind of brings out the person, some part of you that's essential, right? Like mm-hmm. uh, if one of the stories of filtering season one through Piper was the idea that this upper middle class white girl who had always thought of herself as a nice person came to understand that actually maybe her, all of the niceness was dealing with the fact that she'd never had anything that difficult to deal with, you know, that in a difficult situation, she was actually very selfish and needy. Right. um, You know? Uh, And I think that with Morello, you have this backstory that suggests she's um, a, a very unstable person, but that within the context of prison has become this kind of nurturing figure. Mm-hmm. And I, I thought that that uh, kind of spoke to the show as a whole in a way I really right. liked. Yeah, absolutely. That's I mean, that was the third one that I would have mentioned. And yeah, they do kind of telegraph it a little bit. But I think that it's another – first of all, it's another great performance by that actress, Yale Stone, who mm-hmm. I learned after the fact is apparently Australian. Yeah. I had no idea. I thought that really blew me away because her accent, while it's kind of really exaggerated and thick, doesn't seem – you know, I would have had no idea that she was Australian. I thought that was incredible. That alone made me that much more impressed. But you're right. It does speak to this theme on the, on the show of – people creating identities but also and also how they try to deny their like true identities but they often fail there's a lot of this season about people trying to change and failing you know the whole storyline mm-hmm. with tasty who was v's kind of adopted uh, uh daughter and has tr- I wouldn't say she's tried to change or leave that behind, but kind of falls back under her spell when she reemerges in prison. And you have the whole storyline with Piper and the and Larry, the Jason Biggs character, the fiance, and how she'd had this whole life as a lesbian and had kind of left that behind. But as now, you know, when she sees Alex again, she, that you know comes back out. And I think again that ties back into the idea of of characters trying to do you know, good things, the right thing, and having that be a struggle. I think that, that, that it all kind of connects in, in a really effective way. We've, we've, we've already talked almost 20 minutes, so we should probably start to wrap it up. Is there anything okay. negative you want to say? We've been very, very positive. Is there anything that didn't, <laughs> um, didn't work out for you that you didn't really care for? I, thought, I mean, there were one or two backstories that I thought were a little on the nose or felt a little – I mean, I, what I really like about the backstories in general is that they tend to be so weird – Mm-hmm. And so specific that they really feel like these characters' backstories. Mm-hmm. But I thought Miss Rosa, Rosa's backstory, um, the ca- who has cancer, yeah, uh, it was a little too movie esque uh-huh. for me. Uh-huh. Um, but I, I feel like that was my main quibble. It, you know, for the most part, I thought that uh, this is just like another really strong season and featuring. You know, such great performances. Like this has such a strong ensemble cast of so many actors who you just who haven't been on that much. I mean, I haven't even you know um, Natasha Leone as Nikki it was like very likable this season without you know being she didn't get a backstory of her or a flashback of her own. But I thought it was like great this season as well. I there. There are so many good performances uh, that, you know, kind of carry this through over, I think, uh, when the writing doesn't 
quite pull it together. But I don't know. What about you? Any parts that you thought were disappointing? I just, the one note I would say is that I thought some of the middle episodes were a little, I mean, and it's never a show that's like hugely about plot. It's not really a a big narrative driven show. There were still with that said, there were a couple of episodes in the middle that I thought kind of lagged that did seem like they were just kind of filling time a little bit. I think that they probably could have made a really tight 12 or 11 episode season and at 13 episodes, it felt just a little bit distended, just a little bit bloated. I think they could have trimmed a little bit of fat. I agree with you that some of the, the backstories aren't great. Um, but overall, just like you said, I really enjoyed watching it. It is a, one of the best ensembles, maybe in TV history, and and certainly one of the best female ensembles. I mean, when have you ever seen a show with this many great parts for women? And, and like you said, these actresses who... For a lot of them, this is their, you know, big break, people we haven't seen before who are just doing incredible work. And you're going, why aren't these people in more stuff? They're so good. And it's just great that they have this this platform here, this showcase. And it has become this great showcase for all these actors. And the, and the thing was, I found myself every episode, because there are these flashbacks, every episode you have a new char- favorite character. Oh, I, <laughs> Poussey, my new favorite character. Sister Angles, my new favorite character. Lorna, my new... It's like every episode you just find a new character to love. And after they get that flashback, it's like everything they do after that just becomes so much richer, too. And yeah, it's a great, it's a great show. I'm really glad that uh, we've gotten two seasons and Looking forward to the third season. I'm. I was really kind of the last episode. I thought was there was some things I was a little questionable about, but I, <laughs> I really liked also. And I'm like dying to find out what happens on the next season. You know, it it kind of leaves you with a, a couple of really interesting cliffhangers that I can't wait to find out how they resolve. And I don't know when the new season begins, but I'm already looking forward to it. Yeah, me too. I I think that I, I feel just very happy to have this show around, and I think that it's. It has been one of those TV shows, you know, like even in the age of quote unquote quality television, it's one that feels very fresh and very new and different. And uh, I'm glad it's around and I'm looking forward to that third season too. But that is Orange is the New Black and you can catch all of season two as well as season one on Netflix. All right. It's behind the eight ball time here on Film Spotting SVU where we run down a list of three new titles, two listener recommendations, and one film chosen blindly by random from our my list. I, Allison, people were really upset. They, they're upset that I make a weird voice. They were leaving <laughs> angry iTunes reviews. Oh no! That they they're, they're like, this would be a great five star podcast if Matt didn't make strange, funny, weird voices. What if I, I feel like it, it would be a five star podcast if it was all funny voices? I, I was like, it wouldn't be a podcast at all if there were no funny voices. That's that's the whole point of the show. It's a requirement. It's, it's an excuse tough. for funny voices. So I don't know if you if you don't if you don't hate me and you enjoy the show, maybe you'll want to go to iTunes and leave us a positive review and say how much <laughs> you enjoy the crazy voices because that's always very helpful to the show. Yeah, and, make uh, Matt feel better. Yes, yeah, it's all voices. about me. And and we should have we haven't mentioned it. We should apologize. The sound quality, obviously, we're we're doing this over Skype this week. We Allison was actually a few minutes from my house when I realized that my computer had been stolen. Uh, the computer we use to record this show through the mixing board 
is gone forever. And had, I, we'd had a, a robbery in our apartment, and I actually did not even realize that the laptop that I used to record the podcast had been taken. So that was awesome. And poor Allison had to turn around and <laughs> go home so we could record this over Skype. So Yeah, but, you know, uh, poor poor Matt had his apartment broken into. Yeah, so that wasn't like great. So I I've already practice. ordered I need there was a, there is a there is a a cord, a cable that I need to basically uh record the podcast using the mixing board with this computer, but I don't have it, but I have ordered it. So it's on the way. So hopefully by our next episode, the next time we record, we should have that and we should be good to go. But eh, for this episode at least, we had to do it this way. So apologies, but it was this or nothing and we figured that was, you know, this is better than not having a podcast at all. So uh, let's do let's do it. Let's do our eight ball countdowns. Allison, you're going to go first. Are you ready? I'm ready. All right. Why don't you start with three new releases? Okay. First up is Burning Bush. This is newly available on Fandor with a slight complication. I will explain in a second. This is a 2013 miniseries from director Agnieszka Holland. Sorry, Agnieszka Holland. Looked it up. Uh, um, who is the director of Europa Europa, In Darkness, and many other things. She made it for HBO Europe, um, and it is about a student who set himself on fire in protest against the Soviet occupation of Czechoslovakia in 1969. And it's a kind of portrait of life under Eastern Bloc communism, and it follows a lawyer who ends up taking up the case on behalf of the student's family against a party member who's basically cast aspersions on the student's motives for this protest. He's a tool of the West, et cetera, et cetera. Um, This is available on Fandor for streaming everywhere except for in New York because it is playing at Film Forum in New York. So you can't stream it here yet, but you can stream it everywhere else. It's gotten a lot of great reviews. It's, I think, four hours long. It's a miniseries, but um, it seems to be very worth checking out. Um, new on Netflix is The Missing Picture. Uh, this is the highly acclaimed film from Cambodian filmmaker Riti Pan about life under Pol Pot, including uh, what happened to most of his family. Much of his family died in labor camps. And the title refers to the fact that, you know, there were no cameras recording these incidents and the conditions of the labor camps and the executions and, the you know, the killing fields. And uh, so instead... He uses clay figures to recreate these scenes. Um, All the filmed material from that time is propaganda. So it becomes both a very personal film about uh, the Khmer Rouge, but also about the ideas of what, you know, about how our history is recorded and, and, and documented and what is available to be used. Um, So that's the missing picture. It is on Netflix. Also new to Netflix is Ishtar, Elaine May's 1987 comedy that is one of the most famous flops of all time, starring Warren Beatty and Dustin Hoffman as a pair of lousy lounge singers who travel to Morocco to entertain the troops stationed there and end up getting involved in a plot to overthrow the government of the fictional neighboring country, which is called Ishtar. Uh, This movie ended up doing so poorly, May has yet to direct another film. Uh, but it has accrued a cult following over the years. So that is Ishtar, and it is streaming on Netflix. All right. How about two listener recommendations? 
All right. Well, we got uh, TV recommendations from Vanessa from Winchester, who writes, I wanted to mention two other shows I've been binge watching this week. Bur- Bob's Burgers and Showtime's recently canceled The Borges. I got into Bob's Burgers through my love of H. John Benjamin's work on Archer. I wasn't sure I'd be able to get used to him as hapless, decidedly unglamorous Bob Belcher after hearing him as suave secret agent Sterling Archer, but Benjamin melds seamlessly into the role. With other incredibly talented voice actors as his co-stars, Christian Shaw as Louise and Dan Mintz as Tina are my favorites, and witty original writing, Bob's Burgers stands apart from other animated irreverent family sitcoms by portraying a family that's super Superficially dysfunctional, but totally devoted to each other, and whose members genuinely like each other. The, believab- the believability of their relationships balances out the outlandishly funny situations they get into each week. Uh, and seasons one through three are on Netflix Instant, and season four is available on Hulu of that show. And she also recommends The Borges, which is an, in, another in the line of lavish period dramas that have been canceled too soon. With Jeremy Irons scarily perfect as Pope Alexander, Borges is the real-life Game of Thrones, with just as much fantastic scheming, backstabbing, incest, intrigue, epic battles, and power-mad ambition. Ba- ambition. Basically everything but the dragons, although Holiday Granger as Lucrezia Borgia, Borgia holds her own in the cutthroat papal court just fine without them. It definitely deserves more love. And all three seasons are streaming on Netflix Instant. And we also have a recommendation from Alex from Seattle, who recommends Robinson Crusoe on Mars, which is streaming on Netflix Instant and Amazon Prime. He writes, although it seems it has somewhat of a cult following, I had never heard of this movie until I was browsing around Netflix Instant and stopped dead when I read this title. I love castaway movies. I like schlocky 1960s sci-fi. How had I not seen this? It doesn't disappoint. I had a blast with this movie. It might not be in the pantheon of great sci-fi movies, but it's good, campy fun. Besides, it has a monkey in a spacesuit and a small part for Adam West. It's a can't miss. All right. How about one uh, film randomly chosen from your my list? Uh, You gave me number nine, which is Drinking Buddies. This is the, I think, latest-ish film from (laughs) Joe Swanberg um, from last year, starring his most famous cast so far by far. Olivia Wilde and Jake Johnson play a pair of friends and co-workers at a Chicago brewery who have a long-running flirtation, and Ron Livingston and Anna Kendrick play their significant others. All right, Matt, are you ready? I am. Okay, three new picks. All right, I'm going to start with a new film on Netflix, last year's zombie action thriller World War Z. Just uh, became available on Netflix. It stars Brad Pitt as United, a United Nations investigator who is sent to find the origins of a worldwide plague of zombies. This film was famously a very troubled production. It went very highly over budget forced the filmmakers to reshoot a brand new and totally different ending when they realized the original ending was totally awful. But somehow the finished version is actually pretty good. It's kind of strange how every place Brad Pitt visits seems okay until he shows up and then it instantly becomes a zombie nightmare as if Brad Pitt (laughs) is the guy responsible for all of the zombies. definitely the guy responsible. Yeah, it seems that way when you're watching it. But there are still some very effective chase scenes. And the last act, the part that they wrote you know, in a desperate struggle to make the movie work is actually the best part of the movie. And I, it's also worth mentioning here that Netflix 
maybe for the first time ever, certainly one of the first times I've ever noticed, actually has two different versions of the film available. You can watch the theatrical cut, which is the version I saw in theaters, or they also have the unrated cut available. And I'm actually interested to see that and check it out. I don't think it's anything like the original version of the film. It probably just has some more blood and violence and stuff. But I'm kind of curious to check that out. So uh, you can watch either the theatrical or the unrated cut of World War Z on Netflix. Next up, I have The Girlfriend Experience, which is new on Hulu+. Plus. It's Steven Soderbergh's film about the life of a prostitute starring porn star Sasha Gray. The title refers to the fact that she doesn't uh, just have sex with her clients. She offers the quote-unquote girlfriend experience. She can play the role of the girlfriend in their lives. And there are two kinds of Soderbergh movies. There are the glossy things he makes with movie stars. There are the weirder, stranger, less commercial things he makes without them. And the girlfriend experience is certainly in that latter category. Um, but even though the movie does not have a you know a lot in the way of plot, I think it's a really interesting depiction of this character of this world. And I really liked it. I haven't seen it since it came out, but when I saw it popped up, I was like, oh, I wish I had time to revisit it. I think I might try to take some time to take a look at it again. That's the girlfriend experience on Hulu Plus. And finally, also on Hulu Plus, the documentary Conan O'Brien Can't Stop, which is about the comedian and talk show host Conan O'Brien, specifically after he lost The Tonight Show and then went on the road with his band for a bunch of shows that were basically designed to keep him busy and keep him distracted while he was depressed about the fact that he lost his dream job, the job he had worked for his whole life and then had taken away from him in less than a year. I'm not – I don't – I don't watch a lot of Conan anymore, but I was a big fan of his growing up. I watched him all through college. So this was something I was really interested in seeing. And maybe the best thing about it is it's not just a, you know, schmaltzy, flattering underdog portrait of this great comedian who has been mistreated and this is his rise back to glory. Uh, He certainly comes across as a funny guy, but there's something very sad about him. I mean, the title refers to the fact that what he is doing is less of a desire than a compulsion. He has to entertain. He he has to keep going. He has to be in front of audiences. He needs the attention. He needs the applause. He needs their cheers. And there's a lot of it that's about him not being happy. It's about him complaining about this or that or doing autograph signings or meet and greets and just feeling very exhausted and ground down, but at the same time not being able to stop. And so it's not a great film, but I think it does paint an interesting portrait of this type of entertainer, this type of celebrity who really, really craves the spotlight and really needs the attention. And I did find it very interesting in that respect. So that's Conan O'Brien Can't Stop, and that is available on Hulu+. Plus. All right. Uh, two listener recommendations. All right. Our first recommendation comes from Rose in Naperville, Illinois. She says, hi, Matt and Allison and occasional fill-in hosts. I love the show and as a result have sought out way more streaming content than I would have found just browsing on my own. So thanks. Uh, Thank you, Rose. And she says, I have several streaming suggestions for you. Hopefully they will still be valid when and if you read them on the show. On Netflix, I recommend The Untouchables, a French film that came out in 2011 and went on to become the second highest grossing movie in France. 
and I Can See Why. It's warm and funny and has great performances from Francois Clouzet from Tell No One and Chocolat and Omar Sy from X-Men Days of Future Past and the upcoming Jurassic World. It's based on a true story, and the movie is a kind of odd coupling of this wealthy quadriplegic and this streetwise, wisecracking young man who lands a job as his live-in assistant. Sometimes comedies don't succeed outside of their home country or language, but this one really supersedes all cultural cultural barriers. So that's the Untouchables available on Netflix, and Rose also recommends The Trouble with Harry on Amazon Instant. It's Alfred Hitchcock's take on a comedy, so naturally involves a dead body. It's basically an old-fashioned cross between Weekend and Bernie's and Clue. The story follows a bunch of neighbors as they try to account for the demise of a man from out of town. Multiple people feel responsible, and there are conflicting ideas of the ethical situation, which means the title character gets buried and exhumed multiple times throughout the course of a day. It may sound macabre, but it's also hilarious. Plus, this movie marked the acting debut of Shirley MacLaine, who's as cute as a button and quite plucky to butte. To, to boot to boot so that's the trouble with harry on amazon instant our other recommendation comes from john in north dakota allison you looked up how to pronounce the the city what is it is it uh, mine it mine it john in mine it north dakota he says hey allison and matt i wanted to highlight one of my favorite films of the year so far that's currently streaming on a platform i'd never used for vod before it's called as the palaces burn and it's available for rental or purchase on Vimeo. It's a documentary that started out as a chronicle of the heavy metal band Lamb of God and their relationship with their fans that took a sharp turn when singer Randy Blythe was arrested during the production in, che- in the Czech Republic for allegedly causing the death of a fan during a show. It's a great look at the relationships between the band members, the divide between the band being on album covers and topping the charts, and what that actually equals out in terms of fame and money – and the effect this extreme and to some frightening band has on the people that buy their music. So that's As the Palaces Burn, and that does sound really interesting. I'm going to try to check that out as well, and it's available for rental or purchase on Vimeo. Okay, and one from your My List. You also gave me number nine, and on my My List this week, that is Frozen Ground, which is a recent film, probably direct-to-video if not technically direct-to-video, then in spirit it went direct-to-video and direct-to-VOD. It stars Nicolas Cage and John Cusack. The plot description is, in this fact-based thriller, an Alaska state trooper pursuing a serial killer teams with a 17-year-old prostitute who escaped the predator's clutches. And I have to assume Nicolas Cage plays the 17-year-old prostitute, right? Obviously. Yeah. I'm a, I'm a prostitute. I'm 17 years old. And I've been attacked by a serial killer. But I understand him now. Okay, well, that brings us to our listener's choice section in which we offer up three picks from that are available to stream and you vote on which one you want us to review. And we have an interesting selection of three movies for you this time. Uh, The first of which is one that I've already talked about, which is Ishtar, uh, Elaine May's film that is both notorious and has picked up a cult following of some very famous defenders, including Quinn Tarantino and Edgar Wright. And here is the official Netflix description. When their gold brick agent books a gig in, of all places, the Middle East... Foundering American lounge singers Chuck and Lyle surprisingly garner success. 
and get ensnared in a secret mission with an FBI or with a CIA agent and local rebel leader. Um, I have tried to look up what gold brick agent is, and the only mention of this phrase I can find is uh, in this very description of Ishtar around the web. So if gold brick is some kind of slang that we're unaware of, please write in and let us know. SVU at filmspottingsvu.com. But uh, I have not seen Ishtar. Matt has. I have. Ages ago. Did not care for it at the time. Hated is, it. Is curious to see if he would come around to it now. Yes. Right? So it was at least – it was about a decade ago was the first and only time I saw it. I did – I was hoping to join the slowly growing – you know, cult bandwagon of Ishtar fans who think it's a misunderstood gem. And at that time, I did not like it. I hated it, frankly. So, <laughs> but I, I'm willing to look at it again and, and see if perhaps I was I was wrong the first time. And uh, I, people do love this movie. And I, I, I would I would I want to try to understand their, frankly, their psychotic minds. Well, there you go. Uh, Ishtar is streaming on Netflix. That's choice number one. Matt, what's choice number two? Choice number two is available for rental or I think at least purchase. It may not be available for rental right away, but it's going to be on iTunes and Amazon starting on June 24th. And it is the recent film Under the Skin. This is the new film from Jonathan Glazer starring Scarlett Johansson as this mysterious woman who is wandering through Scotland and is trying to lure men back to this strange lair that she has for purposes that are not immediately clear. She is She's a predator of some kind and is doing something with these men. And only over the course of the film do we realize what that is. Allison, you haven't seen this movie yet, is that right? I haven't had a chance to see it yet. You haven't seen it yet. I've seen it twice. Uh, one of my very favorite movies of the year. Probably my second favorite movie of 2014 so far after The Grand Budapest Hotel. Uh, and a fabulous, fabulous film. I feel like I could do the review without watching it again. Maybe I'll watch it again anyway just because it would be a fun excuse to watch it one more time. I think it's an an incredible movie. It's It's really, really great. And I believe they talked about it briefly on Film Spotting Original Recipe, but I don't think they gave it a full review. So we wouldn't really be treading the same territory as as our as 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 Adam and Josh on the main show. So we'd be able to uh, carve out our own our own niche by covering Under the Skin over here. So that would be option number two, Under the Skin, available on iTunes and on Amazon, starting on June twenty fourth. So option number three is the Muppet movie. This is the first of the Muppet, the many live action uh, Muppet movies that have since been made. Uh, was made in 1979. Uh, you know, we've we've had a live action Muppet movie uh, this year, in fact. Um, and a bunch of them have been added to Netflix recently. Um, this one was made in 1979 while the Muppet show was on air. Um, and tells an origin story of sorts in which Kermit the Frog heads to Hollywood and meets uh, Miss Piggy and multiple other Muppets as he goes along. It features, among other things, uh, Rainbow Connection, the song, and an appearance by Orson Welles. So My favorite lot, Muppet. Lots going on in, in that one. Um, and, you know, I, I think it's, it's a beloved movie that also, you know, has a lot of meta moments and 
who doesn't love the Muppets? And, so, and yeah, and we could conceivably do a whole episode. Like you said, they've added so many to Netflix recently. We could do a whole Muppet themed episode too. Yes. Yeah, so if that, that would, appeals to you, right, or makes you scream in horror, right, um, you know how to vote. Vote accordingly. But I think that would make a certain amount of sense, just because, like you said, they did add almost every Muppet movie has been recently added to Netflix. So if we were going to do such a thing, now might be the time to do it. All right. Well, which movie should we review in the next episode of Film Spotting Streaming Video Unit? Send your pick to SVU at filmspottingsvu.com or enter in the poll on the right-hand side of the page at filmspottingsvu.com. Your vote must be received by Monday, June 23rd at noon. And after that, we'll announce the winner on Twitter at our Twitter account, which is twitter.com slash filmspottingsvu. And you'll have all that week to watch the film and then join us for our conversation on next week's episode, which will be on Tuesday, July 1st. Film Spotting SVU is also where you can find our show archive, as well as a list of direct links to all the movies we discuss on the show. The Film Spotting SVU remix theme song is by Vince Vandal, and you can listen to more of Vince's work at vincevandal.com. We'll be back in two weeks with more movie recommendations and the movie review you pick. In the meantime, though, you can follow us on Twitter at Allison Wilmore and at Matt Singer, and you can follow the show at Filmspotting SVU. That's where we announce the winner of each show's listener's choice and where we share more streaming suggestions from SVU listeners. Don't forget to keep emailing us your streaming suggestions to SVU at FilmspottingSVU.com. And please leave us a review, hopefully one that doesn't insult my vocal talents, at iTunes. They really help us with the algorithms over there. Leave us a review, rate us, give us five stars. Please, we don't ask you for much, but do this for us. Just just a perfect rating on iTunes. That's all we ask is to call us the greatest podcast you've ever heard. That's it. That's all we need. For Film Spotting SVU, I'm Matt Singer. And I'm Allison Wilmore. Thanks for listening. 